Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I think, um, as alluded to before, the enticement of the quick win of selling a property and then having the cash to do it again as opposed to holding on to the asset is the big lesson. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with the successful husband and wife investors Sam McLean and Mark Edwards who run a fantastic real estate magazine called Elite Agent. Learn more about how they got started in the magazine publishing world, the property investments they've made, their early careers and much, much more. Samantha McLean is the managing editor of Elite Agent and Mark Edwards is the director of the same magazine. To tell us a bit about their property journeys from the get-go. Our property journey has been very mixed. It hasn't sort of obviously started in a flurry and saying, I am going to be a property developer or I'm going to be an investor or what have you. It's uh, historic on my side of the ledger. It's, it started from a lot of um, builds. You know, so what was started off as being straight off the plan and then to you know, progressively modifying your traditional residential um, uh, plans from your builders to the final one which we did which was pretty much straight off the blank sheet of paper and worked it that way but it was majority of it was um, a principal place of purchase principal place of residence and that's sort of, but one of the things that, that sort of gave me throughout that process was you know sort of seeing the uh, seeing the skills that tradies and draftsmen and and the process to go through from having a bare patch of dirt to mm. having somewhere you move into and the joy of obviously having something that you know, you've got everything of that you want versus buying something that somebody else has put their love, heart and, you know, blood, sweat and tears into. Well, the main one I've been involved in has been the purchase of our studio here. So at Elite Agent, we started the business in the laundry. That's a very well-documented story in the laundry of a rental apartment. A laundry with a view. It was a very flash-looking laundry, but there was a washing machine beside me as I was typing early editions of Elite Agent. Mark and I both have a long history in the corporate world. So before we started publishing Elite Agent, Mark worked for Telstra. I worked for Optus and PwC and places like that. So we'd accumulated a fair bit of super over a period of time. And when it came time to move out of the laundry, I mean, I would have stayed there forever, but he wanted to go. Um, We decided to... um, you know, start looking for a commercial property and set up a self-managed super fund. We And we purchased this outright. 
on a day-to-day basis, McLean and Edwards have a very busy schedule. We get up at 5am, we review the news, we send a news email called The Brief to about 20,000 real estate professionals around Australia, which contains the news and features and things like that to help real estate agents do their job better. Then we usually hit the gym in one way, shape or form, um, get clean, get into the office and the day starts again. So it'll be whatever we're working on. It might be the magazine, it might be Tuesday is podcast recording day and then we'll kind of do bits and pieces like that. I've never actually thought of that. We've got two starts of the day. So I suppose for the general listeners is that we're a um, trade media company for the real estate industry. So our audience are the hardworking real estate professionals across the country and growing internationally. Still growing. Been going for five years now. Edwards goes on to tell us a bit about where he grew up and his education path. I've been all up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia, so born in Queensland, um, moved to country Victoria basically for my um, primary school years. Out of there, chasing down cows and sheep and you know, sort of playing <laughs> in the it. local quarry. Doesn't sound very uh, safe, but that's what you used to do back in the 70s. And then um, moved to uh, New-, New South Wales and Sydney's been home since the mid-80s. Oh, great. And you went to school as well in Sydney as well too? After primary school, I definitely went to senior- <laughs> went to-, <laughs> went to high school. <laughs> So from high school onwards, whereabouts did you go? Did you go to university or um, you came out yeah, to the workforce? I went, went into, uh, I suppose at the time it was TAFE and did a uh, electrical engineering um, degree. I think it's it's quite interesting that, you know, the things that we decide that are going to be the path we're going to choose to follow at the time is not necessarily where you end up. I would never have thought I'd end up being a publisher of a, a multi-channel magazine, website, daily newsletter, podcast education business for the real estate industry would never have crossed my mind but there, yeah, but there again yeah. you know, so I've never thought that I would also you know sort of be working for a stockbroking firm which was probably one of my real you know first proper jobs but everybody you know so sort of, it's, it's fairly common these days that you know the career that you think you're going to start out with is mm-hmm. you, you know morphs and changes over the years and you know so sort of similarly I would never have thought that I would have been you know um, my ultimate idea my ultimate dream would be to just have a tool belt personally (laughs) permanently strapped on you know with a battered up ute and a dog out the back. McLean grew up on the central coast of New South Wales and she tells us about what her town was like in her education path as well as some of her experiences in the workforce. It's a beautiful central coast and kind of went to Kingcumber Primary School when Kingcumber was just a school a pub and a church basically and a post office. So, yeah, I uh, and not a lot of people remember Kingcumber that way because there's a high school now there and a McDonald's and a whole bunch of others. Sounds, yeah. sounds very similar to where I was in Victoria, yeah. but that was like sort of, you know, the town was um, bookended by the top pub and the bottom pub. Pub coming in and pub going out, not much in between. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up on the central coast. Actually, I've sort of lived in a few different places on the coast, but that's a really long story. I went to university. I, I left the Central Coast as soon as I could to find my fortune in the big smoke. Got myself a job after finishing the HSC with uh, Ernst and Winnie back then and then became Ernst and Young. And the reason I did that was because those two-by-two two kind of degrees back in the late 80s um, where they would pay for your university education and give you a job at the same time. So I was like, that's it, I'm, I'm off, I'm on a train, I'm, I'm off to the big smoke. <laughs> Hated it. 
McLean elaborates as to why she made the decision to go to Sydney and the changes in technology she discovered early on in her career. I chose the career for the convenience of um, having my university education paid for and also to, to, you know, come and experience the big city. But, um, yeah, I didn't like it very much, so it didn't last very long. And, you know, I ended up doing a few, a few other things, but, you know, like in that late 80s, early 90s kind of period was when technology really started to take off and I ended up working for another accounting firm and ended up being their technology manager or their technology supervisor and went through this whole thing really great story actually being a 22 year old sort of standing in in the managing partner's doorway you know shaking in my boots saying to him you know I think we all need to have a computer on everyone's desk and I think we also should implement this crazy thing called email not crazy at all <laughs> yeah, not crazy at all but you know like at the time I was considered a bit of a disruptor because all of the partners had their secretaries as they called them back then who used WordPerfect 5.1 and used to put messages from um, staff members to other staff members on a printed page in a pigeonhole and so yeah so I considered myself a disruptor pretty much the whole time but then I suppose in the technology space that's where my career really grew and I ended up designing solutions for multinational networks with um, British Telecom and then went from there into what I'd call as a sales role um, as a bid manager. So I became very good at communicating sales messages to different people and also pulling together multi sort of disciplinary, I guess, engineers and things like that. So I ended up you know, in effect being a sales coach and that's how I met Mark. He didn't like me very much at all and I'm still bossy and pretty much doing the same thing but in a magazine now. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Samantha McLean and Mark Edwards got into magazine publishing. So I guess to, to finish that story, I wrote for that magazine for three or four years another wave of digital publishing because publishing is an industry that is constantly being disrupted. How McLean and Edwards work together to get things done. I can't stand the accounting side of our business. You know, like I throw in a couple of interesting, well, did you do this or did you do that? The worst investing moments. If I had my time again, I'd probably, you know, sort of hold on to more property rather than, you know, sort of liquidating it and doing it again. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Edwards relates to the professionals within a sales proposal to what they're doing with their magazine and McLean adds on to her experiences of advocating for new technology in her workplaces. Now, it's an interesting one actually because what you're saying about having those multidisciplinary professionals within a bid, within a sales proposal, it's very similar to what we're doing in the magazine in that you've got a whole lot of different people with their own expertise and their own tone and their own voice and the way in which they want to communicate and, and uh, one of the, I suppose, the strengths of what Sam's doing is that 
you're taking all of those different ways in which people are talking and bringing it together in one cohesive publication. And that's very similar to what you were doing with the bids. Yeah, and beating people up when they were late and stuff like that. You know, sort of fun times. And I guess, you know, I found my way into the real estate industry by doing a job for a company that was selling into the real estate industry and I became became quite well networked within the real estate industry and ended up again, you know, like another wave of internet where there used to be to sell anything to anyone, you would be picking up the phone and you would be cold calling and dialing for dollars and all of that sort of thing. Anyway, I walked into this organisation and kind of disrupted it too. And I said, well, you don't want to do that. You want to use the internet to bring people to you. So I started doing a bunch of stuff. Um, In fact, I challenged the managing director of that company. I said, all right, you have your people dialing for dollars over here. And over here, I'm just going to build a little website (laughs) and, uh, you know, and throw some Google AdWords at it and let's just see what happens. Anyway, I don't like to lose. Mark knows that. Her strategy for generating leads to the website involved writing for a trade magazine, which led her down an entirely new career path. Part of that strategy was writing for the trade magazine at the time, which was Sold Magazine. And, uh, you know, to try and get my personal brand out there and to try and provide valuable content to bring people back to that website to generate leads to basically win this lead generation contest. But then when I fell into writing for that magazine, I actually, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. It was sort of like, okay, is this where I'm meant to be? So I guess to, to finish that story, I wrote for that magazine for, you know, three or four years. And then another wave of digital publishing, because publishing is an industry that is constantly being disrupted. I mean, you only need to go and talk to people from the Australian or Nine or News Limited or, or anything like that. You know, so with publishing constantly being disrupted, there was a print magazine for this publication, but there was really no great digital presence. And... I think he thought the internet was a bit of a fad. Yeah, so that magazine was no more. So I was, and I found I was more upset about that than I was about, you know, any of my other different career changes that I'd sort of thought, I, you know, like I really miss, I really miss that magazine. And so after about a year, I, uh, you know, I grew a pair and decided to do one myself. It was a very bold move. Edwards adds on the fact that people were telling her she was off her rocker for starting a print magazine in an era of technology where lots of things had become digital. People were sort of saying, you know, so you're nuts for starting up a print magazine in a, in a digital, what everyone was calling was a digital era. But, you know, um, there is something special about a magazine is it's very tactile. It's like vinyl making a comeback. I don't know whether the CD, the CD or the DVD will ever make a comeback, but there is something tactile about having a, um, you know, a physical medium. Mm. And plus, anyone can publish anything online and there's no skin in the game. And there's too much of it at this yeah. point in time. Yeah. So we're wondering, what do you actually read? Yeah, you and know, what do you believe? Exactly. Yeah. You know, Facebook so. itself just kind of goes, okay, let's just keep scrolling. Oh, I can't see anything that's interesting. Let's just yep. keep going. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah, just that ne- constant scroll. Yeah, you know, constant scroll of trying to find something that's uh, that's going to be relevant. But, you know, I think there's um, a growing trend of social validation of content rather than just somebody just spraying something out there and saying, oh, well, I've published it, therefore it must be true. This phenomenon of people validating information before it becomes accepted is something that I think is something to watch. We learn what Edwards helps with in the business that allows her to do what she loves. 
I started with accounting, but because I hated that so much, I kind of shifted gears and stayed in the same Bachelor of Business at UTS, but changed my major to management. The thing is, like, even now, like they say, you should work to your strengths. And I can't stand the accounting side of our business. You know, like I throw in a couple of interesting, well, did you do this or did you do that? But if you ask me to sit down and do that, I would really struggle to do it. Whereas, you know, that sort of detailed stuff comes really naturally to Mark and he keeps everything in order. And I guess that's the beauty of how we work together is he gives me creative freedom and also keeps us on the straight and narrow. The operational side of things. <laughs> keeps the bills paid. <laughs> keeps the tax man happy. <laughs> Edwards tells us about how he got into property investment, in particular a property he built when he was just starting out in the world of property. From my side of things, it was more, you know, sort of jumping in with my own two feet. There was no real solid foundation from what home looked like and that was something that I wanted to build in the literal sense. But one thing which I found I, I did, I got a lot, I got a, um, I got the bug, the bug for building. Um, and as I said, the first home I built was a little 11 square, you know, sort of eight metre wide villa block out in uh, far western Sydney. And, um, you know, just straight off the plan with Masterton Homes. I remember very vividly that house being built in 14 weeks or something because it was basically just, there were no modifications. Had no idea of you know, having the fortitude to say, actually, could we move that wall or could we make that door opening a little wider? So it basically just came straight out of the truss factory and up it went and then it was you know, sort of slapped together and away it goes and it's still standing today and it probably would for a very, very long time. Principal place of mm-hmm. residence, you know, very yep. first home, was a, uh, a, a young and dumb kid doing a few rentals here here and there and uh, and thought, well, if I want to put a nail in a, in a wall, I, I really have to have my own thing and uh, found it really challenging to find something that had everything we wanted and nothing we didn't. It was a fun experience to be able to see something literally come out of the ground from, you know, sort of what you, you know, sort of what you expected to come mm-hmm. to come out. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, there, there wasn't a, you know, sort of flash of brilliance or, uh, or, um, an awakening one day. It was just basically saying if you, if, uh, it was the only way that we were going to get what it was that we, uh, that, that we wanted or that I wanted at the time, um, with what was going to be a very young family. Yep. Yeah, beautiful. So that sounds like a, a very um, interesting story in that side of things because I think we all want to get our first home, get yep. into the market, you know, yep. and then once we go from there. Becoming increasingly difficult for uh, for people these days. Yes, yes. It's How long ago was that particular one? 1991, quite a few years ago, but I remember, you know, so I bought the block of land for $50,000 and, wow. um, you know, so I probably spent, you know, so a similar about 60000 on the actual house itself. So being able to turn the key on somewhere that admittedly had a very the, the front yard was just basically dirt um, but to be able to turn the key on a, on a property for you know, so $120,000, $130,000 you can call your own is uh, is sort of challenging to be able to do it in these days but it's all relative Definitely, yeah. And you still still got that property as well? No, no. so one of the things which um, have not been very good at is building, keeping, holding and then and then building again that sort of approach didn't come till later in, later in life, but you know, um, rapidly outgrew the eleven square house when kids came along, and then thought, "Got to make a change." On the other hand, McLean has been so far more interested in experiences than property investments. 
and tells us about a chance she missed to make an investment. Property for me has been more of a work thing. I would say uh, Mama here is a bit more of a rolling stone, (laughs) 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 Um, you know, throughout my life. So, you know, I didn't, as I said, I sort of, I I upped and left, um, you know, home pretty soon, pretty early at 17. And uh, from there I travelled, I finished my degree, I... I'm pretty much what, you know, like I think I was a millennial before my time, interested in the experience and living where I wanted to live. I also lived overseas for a while. So, you know, I lived in Kuala Lumpur. Um, Just before I went to Kuala Lumpur um, was when I had my daughter. She's now 17, 18. Um, I was made redundant from Cisco during the dot bomb, we call it, um, which was around about the year 2000. And and I remember, you know, they gave us such a great redundancy payment that I was about to sort of put a, you know, a a hefty deposit on a, you know, on a property in Dremoyne. And at the time, my then husband, he was offered a job overseas. So we packed up and moved to Malaysia and he's also from the UK where you know I think the arse had fallen out of the investors market several times and said no 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 let's not do that you know and I'm thinking no this is wrong we should definitely do this but you know we took off and left overseas like went overseas and stuff uh anyway yeah I was we definitely should have invested in that property because I think it's probably worth you know two or three times what it was back then um but yeah I've as far as um, as far as me and investing goes, I've I've done too much travelling. It's only been recently that you know when we've kind of looked at, okay, what are we doing, um, you know, with the business and and everything else that um, Mark's been managed to Mark's managed to sit me down and say, right, this is this is how it's all going to go. Plant your feet on the ground. For McLean, her worst investing moments are clear. Well, that was mine, not investing. Yeah. <laughs> As for Edwards, he believes his worst investing moment is centred around not executing a particular investing strategy. And I think, um, as alluded to before, the enticement of the quick win of selling a property and then having the cash to do it again as opposed to holding on to the asset is the big lesson. But if I had my time again, I'd probably you know, sort of hold on to more property rather than you know, sort of liquidating it and doing it again. These days, Edwards tells us what he and McLean have been working on. So uh, the latest project we've been working on has been, uh, so we moved from residential into commercial. It's not as grand as what it sounds. We restructured the, um, the self-managed super fund um, with, you know, so as Sam said, you know, so a number of our, um, our you know, super funds around the place. And this is a, a learning that um, a lot of people do is they, well, particularly in, you know, so my case is that, you know, you move a job and they just basically say, here is your new super fund that you're going to be contributing to. And all of a sudden you've got all of these returns that come in, you know, sort of end of, uh, end of July saying, here's your super fund and you have made 13 cents and here is your, here's another super fund. And you get all of these like sort of, you know, um, superannuation statements. And it was a bit of an aha moment for me when I sort of sat down one year going, God, this is annoying with all this paper coming in versus this is actually quite a decent sort of nest egg that, you know, accumulated through a number of different corporates. And, and at the time, some of the uh, companies we worked for, they were they were doing dollar for dollar matching with, um, with superannuation wow. contributions. And it, this was before the... Uh, superannuation contribution guarantee uh, came in and then has ratcheted up to what's 9.5% at the moment. 
So they were matching dollar for dollar every dollar that you put into. Wow. And that was tend to be some of the perks that the, the multinationals sort of offered their employees, whether it's, you know, sort of paid health funds or whether it's, you know, sort of matching, uh, matching uh, contributions to, to superannuation or 401ks over in the, in the US. Consolidate all our superannuation into what was initially a spreadsheet and went, hmm, okay, that's a decent number. So, inspired by their story, we'll continue the conversation with Samantha McLean and Mark Edwards in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll learn more about their strategies for investment. So, if we're investing our own money, I think the easy way to be able to get into into a property cycle would be through commercial because you can potentially get in with a much smaller footprint and therefore less dollars. The upcoming trends on the property market. I see a trend towards tribes because of affordability. Like young people, like let's talk, well, millennials are last decade, let's talk Generation Z, (laughs) um, who are, you know, like starting now to some of them have finished school. My daughter's just finished school. The amazing changes they've made to their properties. Yes, yeah, so I made an offer to the owner of this particular suite and said, all right, do you mind if we knock a hole in the wall and we'll um, did a similar fit out here. All this and much more on a future episode of Property Investory.